What is the second comforter? Known in the scriptures as another comforter or the other comforters we're going to see. This has everything to do with meeting Jesus Christ. However, the scriptures, and thankfully some excellent quotes from the prophet Joseph Smith, help clarify that it does not include any meeting with Jesus Christ. There are certain aspects to it. So let's jump in and take a look. Let's pull it up here. Okay. So first we're going to go to section 88 in the Doctrine and Covenants for an introduction. So let's see. Let's pull this up here. Okay. Section 88 starting in verse 3. Let's get that really big. Okay, follow along here in verse 3. Wherefore, I now send upon you another comforter, even upon you, my friends, that it may abide in your hearts, even the Holy Spirit of promise, which other comforter is the same that I promised unto my disciples, as is recorded in the testimony of John. We're going to see that in just a second. This comforter is the promise which I give unto you of eternal life, even the glory of the celestial kingdom, which glory is that of the church of the firstborn, even God, the holiest of all, through Jesus Christ his Son. Okay, so here there are a couple of aspects I want to point out. So let's take a look here. Okay, so here is another comforter. Pay attention. And then here, even the Holy Spirit of promise. So now while the word even can have a, a couple of varying uh, meanings, I want to point out that right here that it's giving this idea uh, that they are the same. All right. Even the, even the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, which other comforter I promised the disciples is recorded in the testimony of John right there. That's John chapter 14, and we're going to go check that out uh, in just a moment. Okay, and then the next part, verse 4, this comforter is, it is the promise of eternal life. And then, to clarify eternal life, even the glory of the celestial kingdom, and then further, which glory is, of the church of the firstborn. So we have a few uh, pieces here that we want to keep in mind. Okay. Equating the other comforter with the Holy Spirit of promise. And we're going to look to in this testimony of, of John, which is John chapter 14. We're going to look there in just a second so we can catch up on that. But then we see here the promise of eternal life. And then again with the word even. Again with the word even. Even the glory of the celestial kingdom. So equating equating this promise of eternal life to the glory of the celestial kingdom, equating the other comforter with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, this is important because as we go throughout the scriptures, we're looking for pieces and elements that we can tie together so that we know what's being talked about when it's being talked about. Okay. So this is what is the second comforter. We'll, we'll uh, talk about why we call it second comforter, but essentially because there's two, but but the scriptures are calling it the other comforter, okay? Okay, so we got other comforter, and with this other comforter, we already have, 
the Holy Spirit of Promise. Now, this is important because we're going to see that phrase in other parts of Scripture. The Holy Spirit of Promise. Okay, and also we need to look in the book of John. So compare to John 14, which we're going to next. All right, thank you. And then after that, promise of eternal life. Well, well, look at look at what we have here. We have a connection between the Holy Spirit of promise and the promise of eternal life, because the Holy Spirit of promise has 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 some kind of promise. See, and so so we're connecting here. This Holy Spirit of promise, well, promising what? Well, eternal life. And this eternal life is the glory of the celestial kingdom. All right. So with that piece of info, we have, now we have some framework as we start going through some of these other scriptures. We're going to start putting these pieces together, and this is going to be like a puzzle. And we and I've talked about that many times. Um putting a puzzle together with all these pieces from scriptures and also from some of these um, statements from Joseph, which he's doing the same thing, not to mention from personal experience. So if you have the personal experience, that obviously is going to help. I personally don't. So got to go to the scriptures. So let's look then to John 14, where the Savior's getting this, uh, this idea, saying, okay, well, I'm going to send this to you. and it, all comes out of John, and then interestingly, uh, we're going to see a quote from Joseph talking about John as well, so we'll come back to that. So, New Testament, pulling up John chapter 14. Okay, so let's pull up John 14. So, John 14, starting right here in verse 15. If ye love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. There it is. Uh, we already have it right there. Another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. Okay, so, another comforter. Now, even the spirit of truth. So, last time we had even the Holy Spirit of promise. So, we had the Holy Spirit of promise last time. Uh, Jesus here says, even the spirit of truth. So, we have another word to add. In fact, let's do that real quick. Spirit of truth. All right. So that is also going to be helpful. Okay. Back to John 14. Whom the world cannot receive. Interesting uh, statement, which will be very obvious here momentarily. The world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. Ah. So right here, this is going to be key, as we see later. Neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. All right? I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. So now we have that notion of comfort again. So yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. So he's foretelling his, his death. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day... You shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he does that loveth me. And skip to 22, Judah says, Well, how will you manifest unto yourself unto us, and not to the world? Because uh, they're thinking, well, I mean, here you are, here with us, 
And how how is how is it that they're not going to see you? Because everyone else sees you, right? So moving on, Jesus says, well, if a man love me, he'll keep my words. So this this notion has everything to do with the new and everlasting covenant of obeying God's will, following his will, doing what he says. And my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. And then just notice, interestingly, this is where a lot of confusion happens, uh, not only in the Christian world, but even um, in general, but also in in our in the LDS community. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. So here he just says the Comforter and not another Comforter or the other Comforter. So th- this Comforter, which is the Comforter, is the Holy Ghost. That is not the same thing as look right across the page, right Across the page is another comforter right there. So right next to it, another comforter and the comforter. Those are two different comforters. Okay, so coming unto him, keep my words. Okay, so these aspects, these aspects are all going to tie in together. And let me pull up here this quote from Joseph Smith. Okay, so we have... We're going to be looking at quotes from the Prophet Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery tonight. So, uh, firstly, in June 1839, this is June 27th, here we have this quote. St. Paul exhorts us, actually that was uh, St. Peter. This likely was a a mistake when Wilford Woodruff was writing it down um, because he he scribed this. St. Peter exhorts us to make our calling and election sure. That's from 2 Peter 1. We'll be looking at that. This is that sealing power spoken of by Paul in other places. Ephesians chapter 1, 13 to 14. So let's read it right now. In whom ye also trusted. So this is from Ephesians 1. In whom ye also trusted that after ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Okay, so sometimes these statements can, uh, from Paul, especially in the New Testament, can take a second to unpack so that it sounds a little bit more natural. Now, you can go to other translations, um, but not every translation is going to catch all the proper elements. For example, one of the most important elements in this verse right here is the Holy Spirit of promise. And if you catch a good translation that you like alternatively, like maybe the the NIV or the NASB or whatever, um, it might not say the Holy Spirit of promise. And and so you might miss what exactly it's talking about. So the Holy Spirit of promise. Okay, so let me, let's back up. We have a couple of phrases here um, that we need to make sure we understand so we know exactly what Paul's saying before we move on with what Joseph's saying. In whom he also trusted that after he heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom, so in whom, the previous verse is talking about Christ. So in Christ ye also trusted, that that, uh, that is helpful to understand. In Christ ye also trusted, so you see here in verse 12, talks about Christ. So in Christ ye also trusted after ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So the word of truth is the gospel. So when Jesus said, obey my words, he's talking about the gospel. That's the go- that's the word he's talking about. That's through the new and everlasting covenant, receiving it by revelation and doing what he tells us to do. 
in whom also after that ye believed, so after after you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Well, we just learned that that's, that's the same thing as the other comforter. Okay, and then right here in verse 14, which is the earnest, this word right here, earnest of our salvation, or sorry, of our inheritance. Well, it is salvation, but we're going to see in just a second. The earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Okay, well, let's break this down. What is the purchased possession? What is the purchased possession? Well, whoever Jesus Christ can adopt as his sons and daughters, they are the purchased possession. That's who he's purchasing with his blood. So the purchased possession, you could say, is the whole earth. Mm, yeah, it's, but uh, but more specifically, he's referring to those who actually become the children of Christ, who get adopted by him through the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. That's the purchased possession, okay? So understanding that, so the children, let's just say the children of Christ for a second. Okay, so so the Holy Spirit of promise, he's 14, which is, so this, this which is helps us understand what's going on with this definition according to Paul. The Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance. Well, if we don't understand earnest, Let's let's make sure let's make sure we do understand Ernest. Uh, let's just pull up the Webster's Dictionary 1828 version, and here the definition of Ernest: first fruits, that which is in advance, and gives promise of something to come. So it gives pro- see that it gives promise of something to come. The Holy Spirit of promise, promising something to come. See that. So, promising what to come? Well, interesting, uh, a lot of Webster's 1820 Dictionary includes a lot of uh, biblical references, so it even ties it in right here in the next sentence. The Christian's peace of mind in this life is an earnest of future peace and happiness. Well, we're, we're actually going to define that a little better, according to the doctrine of Christ, as Paul is actually outlining it here in Ephesians. So... Hence, earnest or earnest money, if any of you guys have uh, ever given earnest money, is a first payment or a deposit giving promise or assurance of full payment. Hence, the practice of giving an earnest to ratify a bargain. To ratify a bargain? Well, ratify a bargain has to do with the Lord's reasoning. Uh, Come and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Let us reason together. I'll show them my strong reasoning. What reasoning? This bargain of, if you do my will, <laughs> I will promise you eternal life. I'll, gi- I'll give you eternal life if you do my will. So here, with this earnest of our inheritance, as Paul says, which is the earnest or the uh, that promise of our inheritance until the redemption of the children of Christ unto the praise of his glory. Meaning, let's just reword, let's just reword verse 14 for a second. So here's uh, here's one of my rewordings. Um, in Christ, in whom also after that ye believed, in verse 13, after that ye believed and followed his will and did everything you're supposed to do to get to that point, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Which Holy Spirit of promise 
is the promise, right? The promise of the of our inheritance or of our future salvation. The promise of our inheritance. What is our hope for inheritance? Well, that that promise of celestial glory. See that which we had in DNC eighty eight. Even the glory of the celestial kingdom, which glory is that of the church of the firstborn. So the redemption until the redemption. Well, one could say, well, when you have the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost, you're redeemed. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That is true. But this is a the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory, meaning when you actually inherit it, that's what Paul's saying. So it's contextual because there are these sep- these various levels of being redeemed, etc., etc. So making sure we catch this in context puts us in the right place. So that is what's going on here. Now, under that understanding, we can come back to Joseph's statement. So again, starting at the top, St. Peter exhorts us to make our calling and election sure in 2 Peter 1. This is that sealing power spoken of by Paul in other places, sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Okay, so skipping down here. Um, that we may be sealed up unto the day of redemption. This principle ought in its proper place, and that's what our attempt, our attempt is tonight. Our intention is to teach it in its proper place to make sure it's understood. This principle ought to be taught. Look, Joseph is saying, in no uncertain terms, that this principle ought to be taught. It ought to be taught. Do, do you disagree? No, so let's teach it. For God hath not revealed anything to Joseph, but what he will make known unto the twelve, and even the least saint may know all things as fast as he's able to bear them. For the day must come, keeping the same context in mind, this day of this being sealed up, the day must come when no man need to say to his neighbor, Know ye the Lord. This know ye the Lord comes from Jeremiah 31. Know ye the Lord, for all shall know him. Who remain, Joseph adds, who remain? Because in that day, that day after the day of judgment when Christ comes, that's when Jeremiah is talking about. So all shall know him. There's that idea of knowing him that we talked about in in John 14, knowing him. Which that knowing him has to do with eternal life from John 17. All shall know the Lord from least to the greatest. How is this to be done? How are they to know the Lord in that day? Look at the definition he gives. It is to be done by this sealing power and the other comforter spoken of, which will be manifest by revelation. The the other comforter. There it is, the other comforter. Now, we have the comforter and we have another comforter. What Continuing with what he says, there are two comforters spoken of in the scriptures. One is the Holy Ghost, the same as given on the day of Pentecost, and that all saints receive after faith, repentance, and baptism. So that is the Comforter. This first Comforter, the first one you receive, uh, or Holy Ghost, has no other effect than pure intelligence. And then continuing, the other Comforter spoken of is a subject of great interest. So notice here, Joseph doesn't say the second Comforter, which we commonly use, um, but he just said the first comforter. So if there's, if there are two comforters spoken of, and there and one comes first, and there's another one, guess when it comes? It comes second. So even though you don't see the phrase 
Second Comforter in Scriptures, it is the second one. It's another one. It's the other one other than the first. And if there's another one other than the first, it's got to be second. So just FYI, in case you wonder where that comes from, that's just how it is. Okay, so continuing. The other comforter spoken of is a subject of great interest and perhaps understood by few of this generation. Isn't that curious? Understood by few of this generation. Well, I would submit it might even be understood by fewer of this generation, but that's about to change or it's starting to change for sure. And we all need to know. Uh, few of this generation, after a person has faith in Christ, repents of his sins, and is baptized for the remission of his sins, and receives the Holy Ghost by the laying on of hands, which is the first comforter, then let him continue to humble himself before God. Here's the new and everlasting covenant. To humble himself before God, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, new and everlasting covenant, and here it is, living by every word of God, doing everything the Lord asks of that person, that son or daughter, over and over and over again, and keep doing it. And then look what he says, and the Lord will soon say unto him, Son, thou shalt, thou shalt be exalted, etc. Thou, thou shalt be exalted. Thou shalt be exalted. That's the promise of eternal life. Thou shalt be exalted. That's, that's a promise of eternal life. Not you are exalted, shalt be in the future. See, a promise. An earnest. Here's an earnest. Promise. Holy Spirit of promise. When the Lord has thoroughly proved him, or her, and finds that the man or woman is determined to serve him at all hazard, then the man will find his calling and election made sure. So there it is. At that moment, he'll find his calling and election made sure. So now Joseph is equating that, calling and election made sure. Then it will be his privilege to receive the other comforter, which the Lord has promised the saints. As recorded in the testimony of St. John, which we just read, 14th chapter, verse 12, 27. Now, what is this other comforter? It is no more or less than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So Jesus is the other comforter. The Holy Ghost is the first comforter. Jesus Christ is the other comforter or the second comforter. And this is the sum and substance of the whole matter, that when any man obtains this last comforter, so this last comforter, this so the, there are only two, two comforters spoken of in scriptures. You'll, you'll hear occasionally some people identify maybe a third and fourth comforter. And for terminology's sake, for what they're trying to describe, it can make sense. However, scripturally, there are only two comforters, the Holy Ghost and Jesus Christ. They are the comforters. Um, and according to the statement, it looks like Jesus Christ might be the last comforter. After that, you would not call them comforters per se. But anyway, just scripturally speaking. When any man obtains this last comforter, he will have the personage of Jesus Christ to attend him or appear unto him from time to time. And even he will manifest the Father unto him and they will take up their abode with him. And the visions of the heavens will be opened unto him. And the Lord will teach him face to face and he may have a perfect knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Look at this. A perfect knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom. And this is the state and place the ancients arrived at when they had such glorious vision. Isaiah, Ezekiel, John the Revelator upon the Isle of Patmos, St. Paul in the third heavens, and all the saints who held communion with the general assembly, and there it is again, the church of the firstborn. I did forget the reference. Discourse, June 27, 1839, Hancock County. 
so here we have uh, some awesome elements to take note of that we want to make sure that we get. So the personage of Jesus Christ. So the second comforter is the person of Jesus Christ to attend to him. Okay. So personal visit with Christ. All right. So, and then next, look at what's next on there. Even, even manifest the father unto him. Now that says from time to time. So that sounds like more than one. Okay. And then even he'll manifest the father unto him. Now, now manifesting the father, that is an eventuality. So manifest the father. Okay. But just take note, make sure you take note of these. The person of Jesus Christ attending to him manifesting the Father, but then notice after that, the heavens being opened and being taught face to face and having the knowledge and mysteries of the kingdom of God. So we're going to see these pieces. We're going to see these pieces unfold in some of these other scriptures. Okay, so next up, Moses chapter 1. So let's look at a great example from the Pearl of Great Price. So in the Pearl of Great Price, we get Moses... Talking with the Lord face to face. Now, the Old Testament does tell us that Moses spoke to God face to face, but we don't have a super detailed account of maybe how that all went down and everything, as well as we do here in the Pearl of Great Price. So when we pull when we pull this up, here we go in Moses chapter one, we are going to now uncover some other pieces of information that we need. So checking out here the words of God which He spake unto Moses at a time when Moses was cut up into an exceedingly high mountain. So right here, there is an important piece. Moses was caught up. He was caught up into an exceedingly high mountain. And he saw God face to face, right? Face to face. And he talked with him. And look here. And the glory of God was upon Moses. Therefore, Moses could endure his presence. Remember that phrase for later. He could endure his presence. And God spake unto Moses, saying, Behold, I am the Lord God Almighty, and endless is my name. So this is actually Jesus Christ that he's talking with. Jesus Christ, endless is his name. And we get that clarification from Doctrine and Covenants. So so even though it says God, it is God the Son, Jesus Christ. And it's not this endless. Behold, thou art my son. So thou art my son. Moses has already had the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. He is a son of God, a son of Jesus Christ. I'll show the workmanship of mine hands. Interesting here. Look at this verse five. Wherefore, no man can behold all my works except he behold all my glory. All my glory. Interesting. And no man can behold all my glory. And afterwards, remain in the flesh on the earth. Now, in the flesh, in the flesh means alive in a mortal tabernacle. It just means in immortality. wouldn't be alive anymore. It wouldn't be, wouldn't be in the flesh on the earth in mortality. You'd have to be translated and caught up and, and uh, in celestial glory. Now, this little bit here, when he beheld, look right across, the glory of God was upon Moses, therefore he could endure his presence. This piece is important because it's 
unwrapping this mystery that it is that it is Jesus's glory and we're going to see a phrase that teaches us which glory it is now this says it's not all his glory so even Moses is not beholding all of his glory and not all of his works but not all verse 4 see but not all the workmanship of my hands not all of them because you'd have to you'd have to be caught up to all my glory. So what does he mean by that then? What does he mean? Well, all of Christ's glory is not something you experience during this other comforter. You don't experience all of it. So it's right here. Not all of his glory. Okay. Not all of his glory. And then, and then here, Moses is experiencing what? Visions of eternity, as Joseph said, mysteries of the kingdom, which Joseph said we are reading that example here in Moses. Okay. And I have a work for thee, Moses, he said. So let's go to the next page. Now let's skip down verse 9. Okay, so verse 9, the presence of God withdrew from Moses. So... Prince of God withdrew from Moses. That his glory was not upon Moses. So at least some of his glory, but not all of it, right? And Moses was left unto himself. And as he was left unto himself, he fell unto the earth. He fell. Well, remember we read here at the beginning that Moses, Moses was caught up. All right? Moses being caught up. Back here, verse 10. So he fell unto the earth. So he was caught up into a seething high mountain. Now he falls back down to the earth. And it came to pass that it was for the space of many hours before Moses did again receive his natural strength like unto man. And he said unto himself, Now for this cause I know that man is nothing, which thing I never had supposed. Never, never before had Moses ever had this experience. He could not have had this experience before or he would have supposed this. Now, look here in verse 11. But now mine own eyes have beheld God. So he, he saw him with his own eyes. But Linda, look here. But not my natural eyes or my physical eyes, but my spiritual eyes. My natural eyes couldn't have beheld, for I should have withered and died in his presence. But his glory was upon me, and I beheld his face, for I was transfigured before him. So this experience, this experience requires transfiguration. Now, what's the point of transfiguration? Transfig. The point of transfiguration is so that your spirit can be taken up into God's presence and so that your body can uh, withstand it, so that your spirit can, can withstand this. How that works, I don't know exactly. There doesn't seem to be tons of information, just that it's necessary. So the transfiguration is necessary, and that transfiguration is this glory of God that came upon Moses that allowed his spirit to be cut up. Now, we know his spirit was cut up because it says my body couldn't have withstood his presence. Okay? So it does not occur in physical body. So there we realize that our spirit, Spirit is caught up. So to be caught up is like taken up or brought up to where? The exceedingly, exceedingly high mountain. 
Now that is important because it's going to help solve some other questions as we come across um, whether or not we're finding examples of this happening in Scripture. The exceedingly high mountain helps distinguish that. Okay? So Moses was transfigured. He saw God face to face. So uh didn't happen his physical body. And it wasn't, it wasn't all of his glory. So not all of Christ's glory as he, as we just identified. So not all of Christ's glory. Well, this experience of Moses. Oh, by the way, he says, he says not, uh, he says my body couldn't have withstood his presence. And then Jesus says, well, nobody could even withstand all my glory, spirit or body. Cause obviously at that point, Moses's body isn't, is, isn't there. His spirit's there. His body's down here on the earth. His spirit's taken up into the exceedingly high mountain. Jesus says, I'm going to show you my works, but not all of them because you wouldn't be able to withstand it because I'd have to, you'd have to behold all of my glory. So now we have this kind of tiered difference of, well, the body can't withstand this much glory of this other comforter experience, but the even the spirit can withstand all of Christ's glory. So we have these couple of tears, and that's that's an important thing to remember also. A lot of pieces to remember in this puzzle. So, so the body couldn't withstand it. It has to be the spirit. The spirit's caught up. It's not all of Christ's glory. Okay. So let's go on to another piece to start putting uh, this together. Let's jump into Doctrine and Covenants, section 84. Now, section 84, again, is me talking about Moses. So let's go section 84, just a few sections back from where we started here. And we are going to start in verse 23. Well, actually, let's start just a little bit above. Verse 21, right here. Without the ordinances thereof, of the greater priesthood, that's what this is talking about, without the ordinances of the gospel with the greater priesthood, yeah, sorry, uh, the ordinances of the gospel and the authority of the greater priesthood, beg your pardon, the power of godliness is not manifest unto men in the flesh. So check out this next statement. For without this, no man can see the face of God, even the Father, and live. Without this, without, what is this? The power of godliness even the father and live. So you could you could see you could see the face of God even the father without the power of godliness. You could. You could see it. But you wouldn't live. You see that? So what is it talking about? What's it talking about? Talking about this power of godliness which is the baptism of fire and the holy ghost, which is the power of Christ to redeem you from the fall and to cleanse you, burn out and kill the natural man inside of you or natural woman, adopt you as a son or daughter of Christ, which raises you into a higher level spiritually and physically. And that then gets you on the path to where you can start working toward seeing Jesus Christ. And we'll see that uh, also in Second Nephi. Okay, so uh, back here. Let's jump back in here. So without the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost, the power of godliness, no man can see the face of God, the Father, God, even the Father, and live. You wouldn't be able to withstand that. 
now I'm going on. Now this Moses plainly taught. Well, he plainly taught it because he did it. He experienced it. He plainly taught it to the children of Israel that in the wilderness and sought diligently to sanctify his people. So he he sought diligently to have them sanctified, which the power of godliness, the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost sanctifies us. So Moses sought diligently to get them the power of godliness so that they could behold the face of God and live, right? Because, I mean, if you want to you live to tell the tale, don't want, don't want it to kill you. Behold the face of God, which is what Moses did right here in Moses chapter 1. But they hardened their hearts and could not endure his presence. Well, that is the exact same phrase that we got from Moses chapter 1. Endure his presence. Endure his presence. We got that in Moses chapter 1. So, behold the face of God. So, this is this is defining the context of beholding the face of God because we're going to see some examples. Just take note. We're going to see some examples towards the end to clarify that not every instance of seeing Jesus Christ uh, counts as the second comforter or the other comforter or the Holy Spirit of promise. These things that we're talking about, not everything counts as that because this is a specific event that happens in an order of events in the gospel. After, as Joseph said, after a person has faith, repents of his sins, and receives baptism of water, and then receives baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost, and then continues, enduring to the end, continues to exercise faith, continues to do everything the Lord tells him to do, humbles himself before God continually, then the Lord will soon say, thou shalt be exalted. And that's the promise of eternal life. That's this event. That's this event of the other comforter. This experience of being caught up with your spirit into Christ's presence in his glory, but not all of his glory. Well, reading here, enduring his presence, we'll check out something that might seem confusing for a second, but we're going to dice it apart. Therefore, the Lord in his wrath, for his anger was kindled against the children of Israel, swore that they should not enter into his rest while in the wilderness. In other words, they received a covenant curse, which rest, so... Enter into his rest is another phrase that's linking these. Which rest is the fullness of his glory. It's like, wait a second. But you just said it's not all his glory. You just said it's not all his glory. Well, we did say that. And we weren't lying. We meaning I. I wasn't lying. Okay. So let's add here. It is the fullness of his glory. Fullness of his glory. Well, how do we reconcile that to not all of Christ's glory? Well, the problem comes in the assumption that the word fullness equals all. Now, you'd think it does. Uh, You'd think it does, but upon further inspection, fullness, fullness is a title or a level. It's not It's not this, in terms of the scriptures or the gospel, in terms of the scriptures or the gospel, fullness is a, is a level or, or a title. Okay, and I'm going to show an example of that. We've got um, these tiers, celestial, terrestrial, celestial, okay. Celestial, terrestrial, Telestial. Okay. So here we have terrestrial level represents 
the fullness level. Here we have the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here at this level is the fullness of the priesthood, which is the first order of the greater priesthood, contrary to um, a lot of belief where the fullness of the priesthood equals all the priesthood. Just like the fullness of glory, fullness of glory, of Christ's glory, is uh, this terrestrial glory. Now, where we can get some of these pieces of information, that is more time than it would than we have. It would take more time than we have to dive through here. But that is... Uh, a quick example, when Jesus comes in the second coming, he comes in the fullness of his glory. Well, the earth becomes terrestrialized at the second coming, and all those who are at a terrestrial level will survive that coming. Well, if fullness of his glory equaled all of his glory, then Jesus would come in celestial glory and obliterate everything. So the the earth wouldn't be terrestrialized at that time. It would be celestialized. Uh, but the earth has to go through steps also, just like we do. So the earth can't be celestialized yet. So it would just obliterate the earth. The earth wouldn't even be celestialized. The earth has to be terrestrialized. And so do Christ's people. And that's the fullness of his glory. Now, interestingly, the earth does get celestialized at the end of the millennium, by the way. So that helps distinguish all of Christ's glory, which Moses couldn't behold when he had this other comfort experience. And the fullness of Christ's glory, which is his terrestrial glory. Now, who oversees the terrestrial? Who does? Christ oversees the terrestrial. Christ, Christ oversees the terrestrial. That's from section 76. The, the Holy Ghost oversees the terrestrial, and the Father oversees the celestial. Okay? So this is just to clear it up, so I don't want to spend too much time here because we could dive into scriptures and all this stuff, but you can go just try and look it up a little bit and go on a chase, but you'll see a correlation between these things. So fullness is a level. It's a distinction. Um, it's not this descriptive amount, meaning all. It means terrestrial. So the full, okay, all right, great. Moving on. So here... We have these links again, beholding the face of God, enduring his presence, so being in his presence, in the fullness of his glory. And notice this phrase, entering into his rest. So we want to add these. So, see God face to face like Moses. We're going to say like Moses. Now, Joseph said in his quote, just like all the ancient saints, Isaiah, Ezekiel, John upon the Isle of Patmos, and all of them, he could have said Moses. So we're going we're gonna to say like Moses. So you got face to face. And then these other qualifiers, in his presence, which is the fullness of his glory, right? Which we just got. Fullness of glory. Fullness of glory. And then that is... Another way of saying, enter into the Lord's rest. Okay. 
enter into his rest or the Lord's rest. And we're going to see that a lot of times as we study through scriptures. And so pulling that phrase out is super helpful because we'll see lots of examples as we study the scriptures of entering into the Lord's rest or maybe enduring his presence or maybe seeing his face. Well, Moses, uh, Joseph, excuse me, Joseph saw God's face in the first vision. And someone might be quick to say, oh, well, that means that was the second comforter. Well, not when you put all these pieces together. That was just seeing God. Joseph was here on the earth. He didn't get caught up to heaven. He hadn't had the baptism of the Holy Ghost yet, which has to come first. Um, so, and, it, and God and Jesus Christ came here to the earth, which couldn't have been even terrestrial glory because that would have obliterated the earth. Well, how do I know? Well, because when he comes in terrestrial glory at the second coming, it will burn the earth. So, so all these elements weren't there for the first vision. So there's just a quick example. We'll get into a couple other examples here shortly. Uh, so after DNC 84, let's take a quick look at section 67. Section 67 will give us just a, another little piece. Here's verse 10. And again, verily I say unto you that it is your privilege. I love this phrase, your privilege. Your privilege. This is a privilege. It's going to be talking about the same thing. Your privilege. And look, look at the wording and a promise. A specific promise. A very specific promise. From the Holy Spirit of promise. What are you talking about? Well, keep reading. I give unto you that you have been ordained into this ministry that inasmuch as you strip yourselves from jealousies and fears and humble, look what Joseph said, humble yourselves before me. For you're not sufficiently humble. The veil shall be rent and you shall see me and know that I am. There's that knowledge, again from John 17, this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And know that I am. But look, just like Moses said, not with the carnal, neither natural mind, but with the spiritual. Now, mind being like mind's eye or your eye. So, so mind and eye are often interchangeable here. Let's keep going. For no man has seen God at any time in the flesh. Now, this word again, in the flesh, doesn't mean in the body. It means in immortality. Because Moses saw God in the flesh, meaning in his life. But he saw him only with his spirit. So that does sound a little bit confusing, but it's important that you understand this. Otherwise, you're going to confuse up a bunch of scriptures. To, to see God in the flesh doesn't mean to see God while, stand, while my spirit's in my body, even though it sounds like it. I know that it sounds like it. But the scriptural term in the flesh just means in a mortality, in a mortal lifetime. That's what in the flesh means. So, so this verse, for no man has seen God at any time in a mortality except quickened by the Spirit of God. That's the sanctification, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Neither can any natural man abide the presence of God, neither after the carnal mind. So, and and by the way, verse twelve clarifies here that the physical body can't even be in the presence of God unless it, it gets to uh, a translated state. So the physical body couldn't. So that's why Moses's physical body had to stay on the earth while his spirit was caught up into an exceedingly high mountain, the exceedingly high mountain. And because the physical body couldn't, but the spirit can, but even the spirit only can after 
uh, those experiences of having baptism for the Holy Ghost, humbling himself, following God's will, etc., etc. So those elements, really important. Okay, so this just confirms what we've already put together. Now, I love this phrase, the veil shall be rent. The veil shall be rent. So that helps clarify that it does happen in this life, which hopefully is already obvious at this time, right? And an another similar scripture that we should look at while we're right here in the Doctrine and Covenants is flipping over to section 93, verse 1. And it's going to say pretty much the same thing. Verily thus saith the Lord, it shall come to pass that every soul who forsakes his sins and comes unto me. So that's the repentance, baptism of water, fire and the Holy Ghost and calls on my name, and obeys my voice, and keeps my commandments, there it is. Obeys my voice, keeps my commandments. So those are all the things that Joseph listed when he was talking about how to experience the second comforter. Call my name in mighty prayer. Obey whatever I tell him, which are my commandments, to that person. That person will see my face and know that I am. There it is again, know that I am. Isn't that awesome? So it's right here in front of us. It's right here in front of us. The same process is available to us. Okay, so we should look really quickly then to understand um, a little bit better Second Nephi. So Second Nephi 31 and 32. Nephi is going uh, to talk about this and explain it. So Second Nephi... 31, towards the end of the chapter, and then and then a little bit into 32. So let's jump in. 31. Okay, so Nephi clarifies here for us. So having remission of your sins by fire and by the Holy Ghost, and then you're on the straight and narrow path that leads to eternal life. So eternal life is knowing God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. So after the baptism of the Holy Ghost, then you're on this path. So again, important piece of information. In fact, so important that I'm just going to write it here. Because those other scriptures also mentioned it. After the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. Okay. You've entered in the gate. You've done according to the commandments of the Father and the Son. Thus far, receive the Holy Ghost. Okay, so verse 19, and now, after you've gotten into the path, the straight and narrow path, is everything done? Well, from everything we've been reading, we know that no way, you got to keep going. Behold, I say, no way, nay, you've not come thus far, save it were by the word of Christ, whatever he tells us, with unshaken faith in him, relying wholly upon the merits of Christ, who is mighty to save. Wherefore, so seeing as that's the case, you must... Press forward with a steadfastness in Christ, meaning keep doing whatever he says, humbling yourself, seeking after his will, and doing it, having a perfect brightness of hope. So you've received hope through through this born-again experience, and you received a love of God and of all men through this experience. Wherefore, if you shall keep pressing forward, feasting upon the word of Christ. So there it is again. That's the new covenant. The offering a sacrifice of a broken heart or contrite spirit. Well, how how so? 
Well, to feast upon the word of Christ means to ingest it. When you ingest something, you're taking it into you so that it becomes a part of you. To feast. And, and then to feast is to ingest it beaucoup, as they say in French. So to in, ingest this much, just taking it all in like crazy, well, all of a sudden that makes me feel pretty crummy for not doing that when I'm seeking God's will. Like, I'll, maybe I sneak, I, I snack upon the word of Christ. I was going to say sneak. So snacking upon the word of Christ versus feasting upon the word. But the, but the point is to truly ingest it and try to make it a part of you. Okay, that's what Nephi is saying here. Well, what are we talking about? Well, and so endure to the end, which is what Joseph said in that quote. And behold, if, if you do all this, if you do all this, look here. Thus saith the Father, you shall have eternal life. Well, Joseph said, then, then God will say to you, thou shalt be exalted. Well, that's the same thing. In Joseph's quote, when he said, thou shalt be exalted, that's the same thing here as the Father saying, ye shall have eternal life. Now, notice the wording, ye shall have eternal life. Ye shall have. It's a future tense. It's a promise. This is a promise. That's through the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the other comforter, which is Jesus Christ, which is going up into his presence and beholding his glory, the fullness of his glory, of his terrestrial glory. And and that is receiving the promise of eternal life, which is the earnest or the promise of our inheritance of salvation. Crazy, huh? Isn't that awesome? Well, Nephi has to restate it. Here, there's no other way. There's no other way or name given whereby man can be saved in the kingdom of God. So to be saved in the kingdom of God is to have is to receive the promise of eternal life. So Nephi just equates it there. And this is the doctrine or gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's the only and true doctrine of the Father. So, so this is the fullness of the gospel and of the Son of the Holy Ghost. Now look here in 32. He says, well, I suppose that you are still wondering what you should do after you have entered in by the way. So I guess I wasn't clear enough. Why, why do you ponder in your hearts? So I said that you would receive the Holy Ghost and that allow you to speak with the tongue of angels. And that means, look what he means. That means to speak by the power of the Holy Ghost. Well, so Nephi is just trying to do a little math equation to make us use our brains and to make his brethren use their brains. So, so when I say that so often we need logic and brilliance to put this together, it happens in the scriptures, and Joseph does it all the time in his sermons when he reads from the scriptures. We've got to be able to use our brains. And Nephi's saying, look, I'm trying to make you put the pieces together, and I'm not going to do it 100%. I'm just going to do it 99.9, and you better get that 0.1%. So this is him putting the equation together. Look, I said you'd have the Holy Ghost. I told you you'd speak by the tongue of angels. And they speak by the power of the Holy Ghost. Wherefore, whatever you speak by the power of the Holy Ghost, well, that's the words of Christ. And I said, feast upon the words of Christ. Because the words of Christ will tell you what you should do. So, so the words of Christ is the Holy Spirit speaking to us through the power of the Holy Ghost, telling us what you should do. So let's, let's keep going. And look how Nephi gets frustrated. Well, 
after I said this, if you can't understand, you are not trying hard enough. Not asking, not knocking. So you are not brought into the light. You're not brought into the light. You're going to perish in the dark. And then he's going to restate it. For behold, again I say. Again means he already said this. It means he already said it. So this is a restatement. This is a, Because he says, again I say, then that means he already said it. That's important for you to catch. Because now you can take verse 5 and place it over verse 3 and say, oh, this is the same thing. So verse 5 is a restatement. I say unto you, if you will enter by the way, receive the Holy Ghost, it, the Holy Ghost, will show you all things what you should do. Tell what? Well, until, until the Father promises you eternal life through the other comforter. And this is the doctrine of Christ, doing whatever the Holy Ghost tells you to do. And there's no more doctrine given until after he, Christ, after he, Christ, he, Christ, shall manifest himself unto you in the flesh. And there it is again. And when he shall manifest himself unto you in the flesh, the things which he shall say unto you shall you observe to do. So here, verse 6 is saying that Christ will manifest himself unto you in the flesh. Well, if we don't put these pieces together from those other scriptures, then we're going to think that Nephi is talking about Christ coming down here to earth to visit me while I'm in my body, in the flesh. But without the proper definition of in the flesh, where in the flesh means in immortality, then I'm going to be lost and confused. So, so in the flesh, which we just talked about, in the flesh equals in or during your mortality or mortal life. That's really important. So manifest himself unto you in during your life in your mortality. And when he shall manifest himself unto you during your mortal life, the things which he shall say to you shall you observe to do. So you have to continue doing what Christ tells you to do. All right? So Nephi expounds on that same idea, but Nephi doesn't give all those details, but we can connect it with the fact that it is a manifestation of Christ to us in the flesh, so there's one clue, and then the other clue came just prior at the end of Second Nephi 31, where it's, well, if you keep doing all this, then the Father will say you shall have eternal life. Well, that's the promise of eternal life. The promise of eternal life is through receiving the other comforter. Okay? So we're putting these pieces together. Let's see, since we're talking about Nephi, then let's jump to when Nephi had this experience, because he tells us about it. In 1 Nephi chapter 11, 1 Nephi chapter 11, right here in verse 1, For it came to pass, after I had desired to know the things that my father had seen, and believing the Lord was able to make them known unto me, as I sat pondering in mine heart, look at this, I was caught away in the Spirit of the Lord, Yea, into, where? An exceedingly high mountain, which I had never before seen, never before. So this is Nephi's first experience with this. 
never before set my foot. He had never been there. Now, Nephi, in this particular account, Nephi does not give us all the pieces to understand what's happening. But understanding what the exceedingly high mountain is, which is the Lord's presence in his terrestrial glory or in the fullness of his glory, once you know that, then you know that this must be this experience of receiving the other comforter, the second comforter. It must be. And we know it's his first time because he says it's never happened before. And also that phrase, caught away. Well, then we can assume just like Moses, his body was there and his spirit was caught away just as Moses's was. Okay? So that helps us understand what's going on here. So we see these elements, but it's only pieces. All right? Now, let's... Now it says, the spirit said unto me... Now, let's come over here to the other page. No, we're going to go... No, now we're going to go to Ether. Let's go to Ether, chapter 3, so we can see the brother of Jared having this same experience. Now, with the brother of Jared, we don't get all the clues either. So let's take a look and see what uh, the brother, brother Jared tells us about his. So starting in verse 6, it came to pass when the brother of Jared had said these words, Behold, the Lord stretched forth his hand and touched the stones one by one with his finger. And the veil, here, here's the first clue, the veil was rent, like DNC said, the veil was taken off from the eyes of the brother Jared, and he saw the finger of the Lord. And it was as the finger of a man, like unto flesh and blood, like, like unto flesh and blood. And the brother Jared fell down before the Lord, was struck with fear. And the Lord saw that the brother Jared had fallen to the earth and said unto him, Arise, why hast thou fallen? And he said, To the Lord I saw the finger of the Lord, and feared lest he should smite me, for I knew not that the Lord had flesh and blood. And the Lord said unto him, Because of thy faith, thou hast seen that I shall take upon, I shall take upon me flesh and blood. So he wasn't flesh and blood just at this moment. And never has man come before me with such exceeding faith as thou hast. For were it not so, you could not have seen my finger. Sawest thou more than this? Nay, Lord, look at this. Show thyself unto thee, unto me, excuse me. And the Lord said unto him, Believest thou the words I shall speak? He said, Yea, I know you speak truth. Your God of truth can't lie. Uh, in fact, he's the spirit of truth, as we read in John 13. And when he had said these words, behold, the Lord showed himself unto him. And now look what the Lord says. Look how the Lord describes it. Behold, or sorry, because thou knowest these things, ye are redeemed from the fall. Therefore, ye are, ye are brought back into my presence. Therefore, I show myself unto you. So there's the clue. There's the clue that defines that this did not happen on the earth. Now, the Lord touching the stones, that might have happened on the earth. It's a little bit unclear, but it seems that the Lord actually goes up into this mountain with the stones and asks him to touch the stones. And so Jesus actually touches them and, and brother Jared sees it. Now, the way that this says it, it's almost like the Lord didn't know that the brother of Jared uh, was going to see his finger. Of course he knew. The Lord did that because the brother Jared was ready for this experience, and the Lord knew that by giving the brother Jared this experience, it would prompt him to seek for that next level and show him that he's ready to actually see the Lord face to face in his glory. So here in this verse, 
Jesus gives us the clue. Ye are brought back. You're brought back. So the brother Jared, ye are brought back. Not shall be brought back into my presence. This isn't talking about some future event. You are, this moment, brought back into my presence. So this is telling us that this is where brother Jared's spirit, his spirit is being caught up into the exceedingly high mountain, which is his presence to endure his presence, as we read in Moses and also in DC 84 about Moses, enduring his presence. So you're being brought back or caught up into my presence. Therefore, I show myself unto you in my presence, in the fullness of my glory. All right. Behold, I am he who is prepared. I'm Jesus Christ. And here is a mystery that I admit that I cannot explain. Never have I showed myself unto man whom I created. Uh, That's an interesting statement. I can't solve it. When I understand it, then I'll tell you. Behold, this body, which ye now behold, is the body of my spirit. Because Jesus is not upon the earth in the flesh, in immortality. And man have I created after the body of my spirit. And even as I appear unto thee, to be in the spirit, even just like that, I will appear unto my people in the flesh. So there it is, in the flesh, in my immortality. And now as I, Moroni, said I could not make a full account of the things which were written, it it suffices me to say that Jesus showed himself unto this man in the spirit. So, uh, same as Nephi And same as Moses. Now, Moses doesn't tell us that. And here we have uh, this direction from Moroni that confirms what Jesus said to the to the brother Jared. Even after the manner and in the likeness of the same body. So the same look, the same. It's his, He's defining that, look, it was still Jesus Christ just in his body. Looked just like him. Even as he showed himself unto the Nephites. So that is important because we we understand how this happened with the brother Jared. And we understand that Jesus was not on the flesh in the flesh yet and was not resurrected, which is why that happened that way. Whereas in these other experiences after his resurrection, then it would have happened with his actual body, like when it happened with Joseph, which sadly we don't have the full account of, right? And that, oh, that's right, I was, that's what I was going to show. Sorry, I beg your pardon, because in 1 Nephi 11, verse 11, I did want to show that he says the same thing Nephi does. Nevertheless, I knew that it was the Spirit of the Lord, and he spake unto me as a man speaks with another. Now, for the longest time, I thought for sure it was the Holy Ghost, but when you put the pieces together, know that Nephi was caught up into the high mountain, just like all these other men are in their accounts. And then he says it was the spirit of the Lord. It's the same spirit of the Lord that the brother Jared and Moroni are explaining to us, the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ in his spirit. For he spake unto me as a man speaks with another. So that is the context here, which I know is a little bit tough because in a lot of places in scriptures, the spirit of the Lord or the spirit of God refers to the Holy Ghost. So admitting that that can be confusing, the context or rather the contextual clues help us realize that Nephi is talking to Jesus Christ. Okay? So that that's important. And the next one we want to check real quick. Next example, great example, is Enoch in Moses 7. So we go back to the Pearl of Great Price to catch a glimpse 
Enoch chapter 7, uh, verses 2 to 4. So look here. And from that time forth, Enoch began to prophesy, saying unto the people that as I was journeying and stood upon the place Mahuja and cried unto the Lord, there came a voice out of heaven saying, turn ye and get ye upon the Mount Simeon. And it came to pass that I turned and went up on the mount. And as I stood upon the mount, I beheld the heavens open, and I was clothed upon. Here, here it is. Here's the here's the clue. Pulled upon with glory, beheld the heavens open. And I saw the Lord, and he stood before my face. And he talked with me, even as a man talks one to another, face to face. And he said unto me, Look, and I will show unto thee the world for the space of many generations. Now, Enoch here goes upon the Mount Simeon. Now, was that a real actual mountain? You could argue yes or no. You could say, well, that's when he was already caught up, except he said, as I stood upon the mount, I was clothed upon with glory. He So he would have, so it makes me think that this actually is a real mountain that he goes up to worship the Lord, to cry unto him. And that's when the glory of God comes upon him. He's transfigured. Now it doesn't say at that point he was caught up into the exceedingly high mountain. It doesn't, but we give these other clues. He sees the heavens open and the glory of God comes upon him. Well, why'd the heavens open up? Not for God to come down, but for Enoch to go up. For Enoch to go up and have the same experience that we read as we read in Moses chapter 1. Saw the Lord, stood before my face. Man talked one with another face to face. All right? And the fact that he's going up upon a mount is really similar to the brother of Jared and Moses It's in Nephi now. Brother Jared actually went on a physical mountain first, but then we know he must have also been taken up to the exceedingly high mountain. Okay. So, uh, interestingly, we want to, one more glaring example of this comes with Jesus Christ himself jumping back into the New Testament. Now, this, uh, let's see, Matthew, this happens right after he's, uh, He's baptized right after his baptism, and then we get into chapter 4. So here at chapter 3, we see he's baptized here. John says, no, I need to be baptized of you. And Jesus says, no, suffer it to be so. And so Jesus was baptized, went straight out of the water. The Spirit of God descended upon him. So he gets the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost, and God says, this is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. And then, then we have verse 4. Then Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Well, to be with God, thanks to the Joseph Smith translation, to be with God, to be with God. And when he had fasted 40 days, so immediately after the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost, he fasts 40 days and 40 nights and was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, so after that, then Satan comes to him, just like he came to Moses, and said, If you be the Son of God, I command that these stones uh, be made bread. And he answered and said, It's written, man shall not live by bread alone, by every word that proceeds forth out of the mouth of God. And then verse 5 says, The devil takes him up. And we see here in verse 5 in the Joseph Smith translation, Then Jesus was taken up into the holy city. So, so here, caught up into the Holy Spirit. Well, where, where do you think he was caught up into? Interestingly. All right. And uh, 
the pinnacle of the temple, say unto him, verse 6, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, etc., etc. And Jesus said unto him, It's written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And then look here, look at the verbiage in verse 8. And again, the devil taketh him up into an exceedingly high mountain. Well, does the devil do that? No, absolutely not. The Joseph Smith translation helps clarify that. And again, Jesus was in the spirit and it taketh him. But look, an exceedingly high mountain. The same high mountain. So here we're looking at after Jesus' baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost experience, Jesus also has this ascension experience going up into of course, it wouldn't be into his own presence because it's himself, so he's going to be going up into the Father's presence. Okay? Because that's the only person that's left above him. So he's going up into the exceedingly high mountain having the same type of experience. So Jesus is also going through all the steps of the gospel, which is amazing to see that he had to be baptized of water, had to be baptized of fire and the Holy Ghost. He had to ascend into the exceedingly high mountain. All those same things that we have to do, he also did it. But it's a little bit um, blurry, and we don't even know this and see it in Matthew chapter 4 until we can put all these other pieces together from, from these other scriptures. So earlier, Joseph referenced making your calling election sure, which comes from Second Peter 1. So let's take a quick look there. Second Peter chapter 1, let's take a look at some of these uh, phrases that he was talking about. Okay, so Second Peter chapter 1. Now, Joseph is more talking over here towards the end. Uh, oh, I forgot to point out uh, here towards the beginning. Because he, I forgot that he says right here. Look really quick. Verse 3, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So he's hinting at this through this verbiage in here, whereby are given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises. What promises? Through the Holy Spirit of promise, the promise of eternal life. That by these might be made partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, that is specifically the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost, which is the first promise. So the new and everlasting covenant has the promise of God to us, that he'll baptize us with fire and the Holy Ghost and adopt us as his sons and daughters um, if we repent and have faith and, and are baptized. So that's the first promise. The second promise is the promise of eternal life. So these are the great and precious promises, multiple promises, very specific promises. And beside this, so in addition to escaping corruption through the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost, in addition to this, or beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge, here it is, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. So, so escaping, escaping the corruption brings you to the level of elect or receiving your calling and election. But now, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. 
For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That phrase in verse 11 is defining this being saved in the kingdom of God, which Nephi said, which is the, receiving the promise of eternal life in Second Nephi 31, right at the end of the chapter, 20 and 21. Okay, so an entrance into that kingdom, the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if you if you make your calling election sure, that is making your calling election sure. All right? And then verse 12, Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. So I want to stir you by putting you in remembrance. Okay, so fast forward now. Now we'll fast forward. For he, Christ, received from God the Father honor and glory, when there came such a voice to him uh, from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son, in whom I will please. That's the transfiguration on the mount. In fact, look right here. When um, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty or of his glory upon the mount of transfiguration, that's when God said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I will please. They heard his voice there. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount, the mount of transfiguration. But look what Peter says next. We have also, in addition to that, a more sure word of prophecy. Word of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. So we have also a more sure testimony of Jesus, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed. In other words, we just told you to make your calling election sure. And if you do make your calling election sure, then you'll have an entrance into the kingdom of God. Take heed as unto a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn. Which day? And the day star arise in your hearts. Which day? The perfect day. The day of coming into Christ's presence. All right? That's what he's talking about there. And we can see that by putting these pieces together. And Joseph uh, helps us with those pieces in this quote here. So we're going to look here, Joseph Smith, May 1843. Now there is some grand secret there. This is this is commentary on Second Peter 1. There is some grand secret there and keys to unlock the subject of here in this chapter. Notwithstanding, the apostle Peter exhorts them to add to their faith virtue, knowledge, temperance, etc. Yet he exhorts them to also make their calling election sure. And though they had heard the audible voice from heaven, they, Peter, James, and John, bearing testimony that Jesus was the Son of God, yet he says we have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light shining in a dark place. Now wherein could they have a more sure word of prophecy than to hear the voice of God saying, this is my beloved Son, etc. Now for the secret and grand key, though they might hear the voice of God and know that Jesus was the Son of God, this would be no evidence that their election and calling, um, their calling election was made sure that they had part with Christ and was a joint heir with him, then they then would want that more sure word of prophecy, that they were sealed in the heavens and had the promise of eternal life in the kingdom of God. Then having this promise, so we see the promise of eternal life through the Holy Spirit of promise, then having this promise sealed unto them, it was an anchor to the soul, sure and steadfast. Though the thunders might roll and lightnings flash and earthquakes bellow and war gather thick around, yet this hope and knowledge would support the soul in every hour of trial, trouble and tribulation, 
then knowledge through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is the grand key. Knowledge through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about in verse 8. In verse 8 here, if all these things be in you and abound, then make that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you'll have your calling election sure, and you will know Jesus Christ for sure. And this is the grand key that unlocks the glories and mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, which Joseph said prior to have the glories and mysteries of the kingdom of heaven unfolded unto that person. Then I, Joseph says, I would exhort you to go on and continue to call upon God. Look at this. Call upon God, getting, humbling yourself before him, getting revelation, knowing what you should do until you make your calling and election sure, brothers and sisters, Latter-day Saints, for yourselves by obtaining this more sure word of prophecy, this more sure testimony of Jesus Christ. And wait patiently for the promise until you obtain it. Wait patiently for that promise of eternal life. That's from uh, Discourse 14, 1843. He actually gave this same discourse about four or five times at least during that month that we have account of, interestingly. And, and so you can look for those, the Joseph Smith papers, etc., and find find them, or in words of Joseph Smith, um, the May 1843 discourses, uh, all of all of the records we have there are about that. So, interestingly, also to see with um, Oliver Cowdery in June 1834, this is one of our earlier statements, because we don't have um, discourses from Joseph Smith before 1839. Uh, those records were lost. Uh, John Whitmer had been the historian. Anyway, for whatever reason, any records of any of those discourses are lost, but thanks to the writings of uh, of the church periodical, we have some statements from him, and here's one from Oliver where he points to the same thing. So June 1834, one of the earlier statements on this subject. Men in our day declare that they have received the word of the Lord and that they are his people, and yet declare, and interesting, so let's apply this to ourselves today and yet declare that he will give no more revelations while time lasts, and that any person declaring to the country is a liar not worthy to live. They say, we've received, when in fact, they've received nothing. They say, we enjoy from God, when he never said anything to them. They say, we have a hope, and found that hope upon a promise made to the ancients, who passed through seas of afflictions, floods of adversities, and despaired of life, and sacrificed the dearest relations of human existence. In other words, their relationships with family, friends, and kin left all things else and forsook the customs of the heathen or forsook Babylon that they might obtain the promise from the Lord of glory, that their salvation was sealed, that their election was sure. Aha, there it is. Will those who are so unlike them obtain the same blessings and inherit the same glory? Even the glory of such a kingdom, which glory is that of the church of the firstborn, DNC 88, where we started. Will they have an abundant entrance administered unto them? into the everlasting kingdom of the Lamb. Isn't that what we just read? In verse 11, Oliver is talking about this same thing. Verse 11 of Second Peter 1. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Oliver is saying the same thing. Will they have an abundant entrance administered unto them into the everlasting kingdom of the Lamb when here... Here on earth, in this life, they never heard his voice, nor obtained a promise from his mouth. Found an evening, a morning star, June 1834. 
under the article Reflections. What an amazing piece from Oliver there, also tying in 2 Peter 1, which, by the way, for the for detractors, this is just curious, for detractors that like to or attempt to try and point at Joseph's evolving theology throughout his life. Baloney, they're not reading enough. They're not reading enough. They're not reading the scriptures enough. They're not, uh, they're not looking enough. How could Oliver know this in June 1834 and Joseph not known it? It's like, oh, well, he doesn't really teach it until uh, June 1839, which is that's the first discourse. And then 1843 is when he really starts talking about it. It's like, okay, well, that's just when we have records, okay? So clearly they knew about it. June 1834, not only does Oliver know about it, he really knows it. He knows it so much that he can write so eloquently and put all these pieces together, boom, down on paper. That's gorgeous writing. He's got it up here. He knows it. He knows it. So Joseph must have known it. That's just a tangent. I just thought that's interesting. Um, okay, so the next, okay, a couple other quick examples from the scriptures. Let's point to a couple. We got a couple more from the Book of Mormon, 2 Nephi chapter 1, a little bit about Nephi, or sorry, from Lehi, from Nephi, about Lehi, beg your pardon, verse 15. But behold, the Lord hath redeemed my soul from hell. I have beheld his glory. Look at this. I have beheld his glory, and I am encircled by eternally in the arms of his love. I've received this promise. I've beheld his glory. Beheld means to see with his eyes. He's seen the Lord face to face in his glory. So not just, not just seeing him in vision here on the earth. So there's a little hint. Another hint. Um... Another hint for Isaiah, Jacob, and Nephi. Now, we already read Nephi's account, but uh, jumping to 2 Nephi 11, uh, verses 2 and 3, right up here at the top. And now I, Nephi, write more of the words of Isaiah, for my soul delighteth in his words. For I will liken his words unto my people, and I will send them forth unto all my children. For Isaiah verily saw my Redeemer, even as I have seen him, even as. Now the phrase even as is important because it's meaning just as, or in the same way, in the same way as I've seen him. I was taken up into his presence. Isaiah had the same experience. And look, and my brother Jacob also has seen him as I have seen him, in the same way. Jacob's also had this experience. Nephi, Jacob, Isaiah. It's all in here. Um, a couple references that you might catch. So let's now jump to John 17, which I made reference to a couple of times. And there are a couple things here to make note of as we wrap up. And this is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, and thou sent knowledge. Okay? So, we've already seen this idea of knowing him. Now, uh, so, now let's look here. Right above it. 
that he should give eternal life, to give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. So we have this promise of eternal life. So now we have the reference here going on that he's talking about. Now, uh, verse 5, let's skip over here to verse 5. Glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. The glory which I had. All right. And verse 22, so let's compare that to 22 real quick. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one even as we are one, or they may be agreed as we are agreed, as Joseph clarifies the meaning there. All right? So, uh, right above it, that they may that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, or we all may be agreed, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Now, becoming one, he's going to define what he means. I in them, verse 23, thou and me, that we may be made perfect, in one, or in agreement, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me. Now look here, verse 24. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. So when he says they may be with me where I am, he means not after they die, but before they die, during their lives, that they might come up into his presence to behold his glory. That's what he's referring to. And once we know that's what we're looking for after having all these pieces, now these statements in the scriptures start to make more sense, especially these ones that are a little bit more cloaked in in mystery. Like in the New Testament, where the wording can get a little bit vague or, or difficult. And I've declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the lover with thou hast loved them, loved me, may be in them, and I in them. Through, through this experience, right? So a couple of cross-references then. Uh, let's look at, for example, uh, 2 Timothy 2.10. Let me see just a couple examples to cross-reference this. 2 Timothy 2, verse 10. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sakes, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So the elect have already been saved from their sins. <laughs> They've already been saved from their sins, but there's also a salvation that's, that's higher than that. So being saved from your sins is a salvation, but to obtain this higher salvation with eternal glory is what Second Timothy is talking about here, which you also cross-reference with First uh, Peter chapter 5. Right at the beginning. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And look at this. And also a a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. So Peter's saying he's already a uh, tongue twister. He is already a partaker of this glory. So Peter's saying he's already had this experience at the moment of writing this. And I want another here in Second Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 14. Whereunto he called you by our gospel, or our, our good news, our message of the gospel, to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That glory. All right? That glory. And 
so in beginning of John then, which is we started in John, so we get more golden nuggets from John. So the beginning of John chapter 1, look at verse uh, 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. In parentheses, and we beheld his glory, and the glory of that of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We beheld his glory. Ha! Huh? Look at that. And then how about chapter 12 in John? Verse 41, which Nephi already told us. So just another another quick uh, testimony. These things said Isaiah, or Isaiah, when he saw his glory and spake of him. So just another quick reference to the same thing that we read from Nephi. Now, Joseph quoted here from Jeremiah 31, all shall know him. And he said, it shall be done by that sealing power. So let's read the day that's coming so we know how we should prepare for it and what we need to come to. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, or I will renew my covenant with them. The renewal of the covenant, as was said often during the days of Joseph Smith. And with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them forth of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an, hus- an husband unto them, saith the Lord, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law, the law of the gospel, in their inward parts, write it in their hearts. This is the sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit. And I'll be their God, and they shall be my people, adopted sons and daughters unto Christ, through the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother saying, Know you know the Lord, for they shall all know me who remain, Joseph clarifies, who remain, those who remain on the earth after his coming, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity. There's a connection to the brother of Jared experience, and I will remember their sin no more. So this helps us understand some of these things. Um Oh, there's one other great one here in Jude in the New Testament. So last one in Jude, verse 24, right here towards the end. Now, unto him that is able to keep you from falling. Notice that phrase that uh, matches what Peter said. You shall never fall. Well, what level do you have to attain for that? To keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Before the presence of his glory. That's what Jude's talking, in this epistle to Jude, that uh, Paul's talking about. So same thing there. So we see it all over. So now that we have all these pieces, know that this is something that needs to happen during our life. Seeing God face to face, just like Moses, in his presence, in the fullness of his glory, or in his terrestrial glory, not all of his glory which is entering into his rest. And it has to happen after we have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So that has to happen first. We also have to have a transfiguration. It doesn't happen in our physical body. Our spirit's caught up into his presence or the exceedingly high mountain. And we have a personal visit with Christ from time to time. And look, eventually, he'll also manifest the Father, so that will come later. And also at some point, visions of eternity and mysteries of the kingdom are unfolded to us. 
So this is the Holy Spirit of promise. This is having your calling and election made sure. So this is the other comforter, and it is the promise of eternal life, which is what we're all seeking after, so we must be seeking after this. And I say this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Now we have our weekly uh, Zoom chat and discussion, Q&A, etc., etc., that you're all welcome to join. Go to doctrineofchrist.com forward slash join, but we will take questions here now for a few minutes, if there are any. So please type your questions in the chat, whether you're watching on Facebook or YouTube. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube or follow us on Facebook, Doctrine of Christ. Uh, type your questions in the chat if you have any, so we'll, it'll, uh, we'll stick around for a second to answer those, and then we'll go over and have a discussion, Q&A, chat, etc., um, over in Zoom. So join us weekly Tuesdays uh, for these. The, the Zoom chat happens afterwards. So we'll just wait for a second for any questions, and if not, we'll head over there. Oh, you know what I did forget? I did forget that I was going to show just a couple of examples of not the second comforter. Which I can do real quick, because we can edit this afterwards. So real quick, examples of not the second comforter, just to kind of show, to help people understand that seeing Christ doesn't just equal second comforter, then... Let's just take a couple of quick examples. Third Nephi 11, Jesus comes to them. Verse 8, As they understood, they cast their eyes up towards heaven, and behold, they saw a man descending out of heaven. Now, look how this is totally different. Look how this is totally different. They saw a man, capital M, they saw a man descending out of heaven, clothed in a white robe. He came down in the midst of them, and they durst not open their mouths. They thought it was an angel that had appeared unto them, but it was Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ came to them, but he came down to them to the temple on earth. So this is not the same experience. It doesn't say anything about the glory of God being upon them. It clearly is not in his presence, so we can cancel it out right away. All right? We can cancel that one out right away. We can also take a quick look at... The example from oh, Luke 24, uh, on the road to Emmaus. So, jump back to the New Testament. This is another good example. This is after the resurrection, of course. So, they are seeing the risen Lord. <laughs> so, Luke 24. Let's just, uh, let's just look at a couple of verses, 36 to 40. As they thus spake, on walking on this road, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them. Oh, actually, this is uh, this is after that. This is after that because this is when they're all, this is when they're all gathered. I beg your pardon. So that all happens, all happens here. But this is when they're gathered. Sorry, uh, stood in the midst of the twelve and said, or the eleven, and said unto them, "Peace be unto you." But they were terrified and affrighted, and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled? Why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet and myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and blood as you see me have. So he showed them, and they experienced this. So here, we're like, wait a minute. Jesus is there, and, and it's his resurrected body. Would this not be the second comforter experience? It's like, well, no, because it happened here in this room. It didn't happen in the high mountain which it would have to be. 
right? And so that's that's how that's how the second comfort is. That's how we can tell when this happens. Um, I, yeah, the road to Emmaus is another example that happens right there. But but there's several examples that we can pull up in scriptures where Jesus appears and visits, and it's like, well, wait a minute, it doesn't meet all those things. We created a whole list of elements, and so if it if it directly contradicts one of those elements, then you can start to just be suspect and be like, oh, this might not be that same experience. Okay, from Sandra, the baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost then is indeed an ordinance either performed by Christ or some appointed being from heaven, correct? No earthly man does it, correct? Um, it's performed by... It can be performed by an earthly man. It has to be approved by Jesus Christ. That's a really good question. And, um, and we can... In our Zoom chat, we can dive into more scriptures to show that uh, it has to be approved by Christ, and then a man on this side of the veil or the other side of the veil who has been given that power and authority to do it can do it after Christ approves of it. Um, so that's the short version. Really good question, Sandra. Okay, so I'm not seeing any other questions, and uh, that was plenty of time, so we'll end the live broadcast. Come join us, doctrineofchrist.com forward slash join of christ.com forward slash join. Go there and click on Tuesday night and we'll see you over in Zoom for those who like to, to join us for discussion.